Well, good morning. Welcome. <clears throat> I am super excited to be back with you all. I just wanted to say thank you this morning. Um, I'm like, I'm 30 years old. I still feel like an 18-year-old. Um, and the fact that you all let me preach the majority of the time is amazing to me. And I love doing it. So thank you for, for humoring me and, and letting me do something that I love to do. I love to bring God's Word. I love to study it. And you all make it possible. And I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it. So thank you. Thank you. That's kind of the tone of the message that we're going to take this morning is one of thanksgiving. One of thanksgiving. We'll get to that. But I want to start out today by talking about a little bit what Wes said about how we live by this mantra or this, uh, this mentality, especially as American consumers, that new is always better, right? It's shiny. It's new. It's one of the most prominent guiding principles of our generation. We get bored easily. We get bored easily. I read an article this week. It was entitled, A Verizon Salesman Gave Me a Brilliant Reason to Buy Google Pixels 3. I know for most of you, that's like clickbait. You see that, and you're like, oh, i got to read that article, right? No, none of you do. That's my, that's my nerdy nerdiness coming out there. <laughs> I like technology. I like that kind of stuff. So I read it, and um, I opened it, and I expected the author to make a claim about some new feature, that Google's new phone, or it's like the camera or some slick uh, piece of software or something, but that's not what this guy said. The Verizon said, the Verizon sales guy, what he said was the reason he was thinking about switching to Google's new phone is this. It's just different. I've been stuck in the Apple ecosystem for so long, I just want to change. That Verizon guy was putting into practice this idea that new is always better. Different is always better. New is always better. Now, I recognize some of you, most of you are probably like, technology we don't care about technology. That goes over most of your heads. But don't get hung up on the specifics there. You may not love technology or desire to try out the newest gadget, but each and every one of us feels bored in our lives from time to time. We crave something new and fresh. Husbands, listen up. I'm going to drop some wisdom on you right now. Are you ready for this? You've all, how, many, how many of you have been confused when your wife comes out of that closet, you know, the huge warehouse where she keeps her clothes, you just stay clear of that place. You know if, if you get close to it, words like remodel or expansion or closet organizer, she's going to start saying things like that. So you just stay away. You just stay away. How many of you have ever been confused? Your wife comes out of that. She's like, ah, I just don't have anything to wear. Now you're thinking, you're thinking, how can that be possible? That, that thing has more clothes than a JCPenney. I know, I know if I go in there, I could find you something to wear, but you're smart. You're smart, and so you don't say what you're thinking. If you're really smart and seasoned, a seasoned veteran as a husband, you might say, wow, honey, that sounds really hard, right? <laughs> Thank you, it does. How many of you have been confused when your wife says that? Okay, here's what's going on. Your wife doesn't mean that she doesn't have anything to wear. She means she doesn't have anything new to wear. Anything new or fun, or as my wife says, something that's so in, right? So in style. That's so in. I'm like, okay, it's so in. Yeah, okay. That's what she means. That's what she means when she says that. Did I just blow some of your minds? Husbands, I think I just probably solved some marriage problems right here. You're welcome. Just stay silent. That's so hard. That's so hard. Wow, that must be really hard. Don't try and fix it. She just wants you to listen. She just wants you to listen, okay? Okay. We get this. 
We get this kind of mentality. New is always better. The ladies with the fashion, maybe some of the guys, we do it with technology. This mantra is, is, is what we live by as an American consumer, right? Let me, let me upgrade you. There's a whole song about getting upgrades. But to be honest, when we're talking about stuff, generally, new is better. New is better, generally speaking. Our cars, our trucks, our clothes, our houses, they get familiar and comfortable as they get old, but they also break down and they get obsolete. And so upgrading things from time to time can be a really good thing. New things can be better. <clears throat> but the problem is when we live with this guiding principle, new is always better, new is always better, we wind up being super discontent and unsatisfied with the stuff God has blessed us with. And so we get on this hamster wheel and we chase after the new, the next. We're never satisfied. And that's a problem, but it's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is when we take that mentality, new is always better, and we bring it into our relationships, we bring it into our career, we bring it into our relationship with God. Sometimes we think new is always better in our families or in our marriages, in our careers. Perhaps we hit a rough spot where things get kind of tough, <clears throat> where it might get a little stale, and something new catches our eye, right? The pasture is greener over there. It's got to be. This is terrible. It's greener over there. So we seek to make an upgrade. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our careers. And sometimes <clears throat> we do it with God. And that's a problem. That's a problem because there is nothing new about the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is age old. It is 2,000 years old. And for many of you, the message of Jesus is as old as you are. Meaning, you grew up in the church and you've heard the same message about Jesus since you've been a little kid. You've been, you've been raised in a Christian family. If you open your Bibles to Colossians 2, we're going to look at verses 6 right now, or it'll be on the screen. But Paul says, he says nothing new in verses 6 and 7. He doesn't say anything new. He simply reiterates what most of you have probably heard a thousand times. Verse 6 says, So then, just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Verses 6 and 7, it's the gospel. Paul preaches the gospel. Receive Jesus. Love him. Live with him and for him and keep on doing it. That's the message. Start following Jesus. Continue following Jesus. Root your life deep down into Jesus like a tree planted next to a living water, living water. Take your life from Jesus. Soak up his life. Get it in you. Be united with him. He uses a construction metaphor. Build your life on him. He's the cornerstone, the foundation, the bedrock. Don't add to or subtract anything from Jesus. He's the perfect cement mixture. Those of you who are in construction and know how to mix cement with the right amount of sand and the other stuff that's in there, you'll get this, right? Paul says, don't add or subtract anything. He's the perfect mixture for an awesome foundation. Get with Jesus. Live in fellowship with Jesus. That's what Paul says. He says, continue to walk with Jesus. But it's not just Jesus with you. I think some of us have this idea. It's like, okay, I become a Christian and I walk hand in hand with Jesus like he's my best friend or like a married couple. That's kind of it, but it's not all it. It goes deeper than that. Paul says that when you love Jesus, when you accept him by faith, he's not just a friend you walk hand in hand with. He resides in you. 
you and him become one. Not that you become God, but that the spirit of God takes up residence in you. You are united with Christ in a crazy, mind-boggling way. And he says, live in that relationship with Jesus. And if you do, your life will overflow with thankfulness. He will pour his life into you and keep pouring his life into you. And you'll overflow so that when you interact with people, they're not just interacting with Levi, they're interacting with Jesus and his love. It's a never-ending supply. It's beautiful, and it makes us happy and gives us joy. It fills us up. Thankfulness is a really great word. It's a great word because I think it communicates so much. If we're thankful, we have peace. If we're thankful, we have joy. We're content. We're satisfied. We enjoy life. We live with gratitude and gratefulness. Thankful people are fulfilled and happy people. And fellowship with Jesus produces eternal thanksgiving in our hearts. A never-ending, life-flowing stream of thanksgiving in our hearts. This is the gospel message. And some of you are nodding your heads because you say, yeah, it's not new, right? It's not new. The problem with the gospel sometimes, especially for those of us who've grown up in church, is that it's old. There's nothing new about it. For some of us, what I just said, it doesn't get us excited. We just say, ah, I heard that before. It's boring to some of us. It becomes old hat. Because there's nothing new, nothing flashy about the gospel, and I would argue, and I'm going to argue that there is something flashy about the gospel. We can't ever get bored with it. That's where we're going. But because it's not new, there's a danger to want to move on from Jesus to some new fad, some new spiritual guru who says this, that, and the other thing in 12 steps, and right? We want to move on from it. We can't ever move on from it. And that's the danger. The danger to age old is old hat. If you remember in our first week, we said the book of Colossians is like a church's owner man, owner's manual, kind of like a, uh, an owner manual to a pickup or a car. Right? We're going to go through it. We're going to say, Colossians, they're not going crazy off in different places. They're actually a solid church, kind of like us. We're not like crazy off in one deep end saying heretical things up against all kinds of weird teachings. I mean, we're, we live in a culture that's kind of trying to pull us away from Jesus, but by and large, we're in a good spot. That's what, like what, what Colossians is. And so Paul's writing this to say, hey, here's the owner's manual. Here's the gauges that I want to keep in focus, the things that I want, want you to pay attention to so that you can stay on and be healthy and be a solid church, okay? So he says, here are some signs of a malfunctioning system. Here's some gauges that I want, to, want you to check. Here's some service maintenance schedules that you need to keep doing. Thankfulness. Thankfulness for the Christian and the church is one of those gauges that we have to keep our eye on. It's one of those gauges we have to keep our eye on. Now, hang with me here. This connects with the new is always better that we started out with. What's the opposite of thankfulness? And some of you might, might say, well, being unthankful, which I'm not even sure if that's a word or not, but <laughs> I, think it's, I think it goes deeper than that. What's the opposite of thankfulness? It's unappreciation, but it's more than that. It's apathy. It's disinterest, discontent, disregard, and at worst, disdain, like a hatred. If we're not happy, if we're not thankful people, we're grumpy, we're crotchety, we, we hate things, and we, we hate God. Another way to think about this and to think about this progression, if we're thankful we're in a good spot, it's a good gauge, then we're probably in a right relationship, right fellowship with Jesus. If we're somewhere else, we need to, the flag needs to go up. If we're looking at our gauge saying, how thankful am I? If I'm not a very thankful person, that's a, that's a flag. 
that's a flag. We need to check. We need to go back because here's, here's the deal. The good news of Jesus is old, and because it's old, it can become familiar to us, so familiar to us that we get bored with Jesus, and our fellowship with him begins to fade. We start to say, I've heard that. I don't need to hear any more of that. I'm going to go away from Jesus because we're bored. And so as we move away from Jesus, we move away from him, we begin to feel less joy in our hearts. We, be, we begin to feel less fulfilled, and we start to become upset. And when we become upset, we begin to blame Jesus because we know the truth. We know the truth of Jesus. He's the source of joy. He's supposed to be fulfilling us. He's supposed to be completing us. And as we get bored, we move away. We start to feel less joy, less completion, less fulfillment. And we get mad at God and we say, what? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We get mad at God and we end up resenting him and being unappreciative and ungrateful. And we begin to hate God because we think he's not holding up his end of the deal. When in fact, it's not God who's went anywhere. We got bored and we left. We moved on to something else. And we're not receiving from Jesus because we're not connected to Jesus. But we, we, for, we lose that. We don't, we don't acknowledge that's what happened. The problem is with us, it's never with God. When I was growing up, going through college, um, I went through a, a dark spot. Some girl dumped me and it was hard. And uh, I, I, I was blaming God and feeling all the things that I'm telling you. Where are you? You're not keeping up your hand in the bar. Not feeling joy, all this stuff. And my brother said, Levi, I heard a pastor preach the other day, and he talked about a man and a woman who were married, and they had a truck with the bench seat, and she sat right next to him, and they were driving, and years went by, and years went by, and she began to scoot over, and she was sitting over there, and at one point, they're driving to church, and she's feeling stale about their relationship, and she looks over, and she says, you remember when, when you used to sit right next to me, and we used to hold hands in the car, and the husband said, yeah, honey, I haven't, ha I haven't went anywhere. I haven't moved. Driver's seat's in the same spot. That's what happened with us when we get bored with the gospel. We move away from Jesus and we begin to blame him for not giving us what he promises to give us when in fact, he hasn't gone anywhere. We're the ones who moved. We're the ones who've left. That's the danger. That's the danger to the gospel. And it's why Paul follows up verse seven, be overflowing with thanksgiving in light of what Christ has done for you. That's why he follows up verse seven with verse eight. Look at it. See to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, through the new and the flashy spiritual guru nonsense. See to it that no one takes you captive. This depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Jesus. Don't leave Jesus, he says. Be careful that you don't leave Jesus. He's not boring. Don't leave him. Christian, there is a war waging for your soul. You are in the middle of a cosmic battle. There are three enemies, the Bible tells us. The world, the flesh, the devil. All of them want to distract you from Jesus. They want to divide you from Jesus and Jesus's people. They want to deceive you in regards to the truth about who Jesus is. And if they can't distract you or divide you or deceive you, then at bare minimum, they want to discourage you to discourage you in your walk from Jesus. So firstly, if you check the gauge of thankfulness and you notice you're feeling kind of bored, you're feeling kind of disinterested with Jesus, if you're further down the ungrateful trail and maybe you're a little bit more crotchety than a Christian ought to be, right? Some of you are kind of crotchety. You need more, you need more joy in Jesus. 
I, I, am, I am too sometimes. I can get cynical. We work with tough, tough situations and tough people, and some of the police officers in here deal with some of the worst, and I know it's hard to, to keep hope in humanity when you're dealing with the worst. We can get crotchety if we're going down the ungrateful trail. If we're feeling that way, if you look at that gauge, you say in your heart, man, God, are you real? Are you here? You're not holding end up your end of the bargain. Your first, your first thing that you have to do is understand that you are in a fight for your life and for your joy. You have to understand that there is a battle going on and you need to fight. The Bible says one thing about devil, the devil for Christians. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee. Resist and he will flee. Fight. Take every thought captive. Fight. Go to work. Do battle. There is a fight. You can't lean over. You can't, you can't lay down. You can't give up. You are not a victim. You are victorious in Jesus. Fight. Fight. You have to fight. You have to resist. And in Christ, you are empowered to do, show, to do so. So how do we fight? How do we fight is the next question. If the gauge, if you're not thankful, if you're not overflowing with thanksgiving, if you're getting bored with Jesus, you got to say, okay, there's a fight. I got to fight. How do I fight? How do we fight? How do we fight despair, ungratefulness, discouragement? How do we fight the fascination with the new? How do we keep ourselves overflowing with thankfulness? We fight our fascination with the new by remembering and celebrating the old. We go back to Jesus. Wow, earth-shattering, right? I know it's not, but it's the truth. It's the truth. We go back to the new. When some newfangled philosophy comes along, claiming some path to enlightenment, some spiritual fullness that you don't yet have, no. Take every thought captive to Jesus. Submit it to Jesus. We, like Paul, determined to know nothing other than Christ and him crucified because, as verses 9 and 10 indicate, we lack nothing in Jesus. Read it. We lack nothing in Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, that's a loaded statement, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Fullness. Complete filling. You lack nothing. And he is the head over every power and every authority. The false teaching that was coming against the Colossians, and again, it wasn't infiltrating the church, but they're living in a culture that believes all kinds of nonsense, and the, the, the uh, current of the stream of culture is trying to pull them away from God, right? We live in the same culture, all this crazy stuff. I don't think it was Gnosticism. Some people say it was. I know Wes talked about it being Gnosticism, which is some weird belief saying that you need some secret knowledge to get more spiritual. It may have been that, or it may have been, may have been some weird form of Judaism and Christianity and hippie mysticism all mixed up into one complete and utter nonsense, except it made sense. It, it had carried some logical weight. That's why Paul's writing the way he does. Don't be taken captive by these persuasive things. There were people claiming that Jesus wasn't enough, that if you really want to be spiritual, 
They're, they're playing on our good desire. We want to love the Lord. If you really want to love the Lord, then here's what you need. You need to understand all this stuff about the angelic realm. You need to have these visions. You need to have these spiritual experiences. You need to recite these certain kind of magical phrases, right? All this kind of weird hippie Judaism, Christianity all bumbled up. I imagine it sounded reasonable. I imagine it sounded logical. I imagine that these false teachers were persuasive in claiming that Jesus wasn't enough, that faith in Jesus wasn't enough, that if the people really wanted to be spiritual, to know God, to be fulfilled, then they had to do all of these prayers and meditations and learn all of these magical phrases and know more about the angelic realm and how the demons are ordered and all of this stuff that the Bible doesn't tell us clearly. Now, if you're bored with Jesus, if, if he feels like old hat, some of these doctrines might appeal to you. Angels and demons are interesting. They're real. Who here wouldn't, wanna, wouldn't like to have some kind of special ability to see into that realm, right? To have some type of, of vision, some type of mystical ex experience in the spiritual thing. Our culture is fascinated by this stuff. Atheism is not growing. Spirituality in this culture is crazy. I was told that 85% of millennials check their horoscope daily. Daily. Spirituality is all over the place. But people are bored with Jesus. They're not looking at Jesus, they're looking at all this other stuff. Because we're bored with Jesus. You could see how if we're not careful, you or I could be taken captive to this idea that Jesus is somehow lacking. That faith in Jesus is not enough. That there's something new to know or experience in this life than fellowship with Jesus. That's why we have to fight. And remember that if we're in Jesus, we lack nothing. We lack nothing. In Jesus, we have all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that we need. We don't need visions. I'm not saying they don't happen empowered by the Spirit, but we don't need them. We don't need to know the demonic orders and ranks and see into the spiritual realm. We just need to know Jesus. When you know Jesus and his love completes you, you get Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven on earth, on earth belongs to him. Church, there are spirits. There are demons. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. That's a reality. They're powerful. But in Jesus, you live with his authority and have access to more power. You don't need some magic words to fight this stuff. You just need Jesus. This would have been immensely comforting to the Colossians. They had wizards and occult people doing all kinds of cursing and crazy stuff to rest and just, I don't have to understand all of it. I just have to know Jesus. I just have to know Jesus. Because when you're in Jesus, you get his authority. If you're a Christian, you are like a sheriff in the spiritual realm. Demons aren't afraid of me, and they're not afraid of you but they are afraid of the one who lives in you. If, and they have to listen to what you say, not because of you, but because of Christ in you. You have been deputized by the kingdom of heaven. His authority is your authority. Think about it when you get pulled over, right? You don't think, well, oh, that's Justin and and I like him, so I'm going to listen to him. I respect him. Or, oh, that guy's, you know, he's, he's a drunk, and he, I'm not going to respect him. No, it doesn't matter who pulls you over. 
You listen to them because they are operating with their authority. They are operating with the authority of the United States government. In the spiritual realm, when you get Jesus in you, you are deputized by his authority. When you come against the spiritual forces of the darkness, when you come against the world, the flesh, the devil, you have the authority and power of Jesus to fight back in you. Church, you might feel weak. We do feel weak. We're not if we're in Jesus. You might feel powerless against darkness. You are not if you are in Jesus. You might feel lacking in strength and knowledge and wisdom and power. You lack nothing if you're in Jesus. This is amazing news. This is amazing. How could we ever get bored with this? I know we do, but when we stop to think about the truth, it's mind-blowing. Jesus lives in you. The fullness of God lives in him, and his fullness lives in you. If you've received him by faith, you've been brought to complete fullness in Jesus. You're safe and secure if you're in Jesus. You have power and authority to command demons. If you're in Jesus, you don't have to listen to their lies. You lack nothing if you're in Jesus. This is not old hat. It's not boring. It's stinking good news. It's good news. What else does Paul say we can remember and celebrate to keep our thankfulness meter up high? Verse 11 through 13a, he tells us this. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, church, apart from Jesus, we were slaves to our flesh. It says we were ruled by the flesh. Your passions, your desires, they controlled you. You used to live to please other people, enslaved to their opinion. You used to live enslaved to your pleasure. You used to live enslaved to the dollar, lived like animals, powerless over basic instincts within your heart. But no more in Jesus. In Jesus, you're remade. You're no longer powerless over the flesh. You once, you once didn't even care to live like Jesus. You didn't even want to live like Jesus You had no desire to live like him. You couldn't if if you wanted to. No longer. The power of the flesh has been destroyed. You are no longer a slave to sin and death because you are a new creation and you have power to live righteously. Think about this. Apart from Jesus, there is no lasting joy. If you had good things, you could not enjoy them because you were always searching out the new, the better the next. We're enslaved to this endless search for fulfillment in our flesh and never completely satisfied. Maybe fleetingly so, but never fully, never eternally so. Let's say we were able to achieve this elusive quest for fulfillment and and, uh, success from the world. Then what? Solomon wrote about this in Ecclesiastes. Solomon was the richest, wisest, most skilled partier, most skilled sexual Casanova who ever lived. He had more money, more women, more parties, more, you name it, he had it all. He had it all. He had everything we dream of having 
from the world. And his conclusion was this. It's all fleetingly frustrating because no one can outrun death. You can't take anything with you. We lose everything we might attain. In Jesus, we are freed from this fleetingly frustrating pursuit to pursue the flesh because Jesus becomes our end goal. He's our everything. He's our sustenance. He's our life. He's our satisfaction. He's, and he defeated death. For the Christian, we don't have to, def- we don't have to fear death anymore. In fact, for the Christian, death is an upgrade. It's an upgrade. We get to go be with God face to face. We get to experience God and Jesus the way we are meant to experience him, the way we are meant to live with him. Paul says it like this, for now we see only in a, in a reflection as in a mirror. We see dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I fully know. Come on, church. That's good news. How could you get bored with this truth? It might be old, but it's not boring. This is your Jesus. He frees you from slavery to sin. He frees you from the fleeting pursuit, an endless pursuit of stuff that we can't take with us. You don't need anything else. You just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. Let's go, right? Let's go. We're not done. Look at verse 14. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How many of you hate your mortgage payment? Right? How many of you hate your car payment or your credit card payment or maybe all of those payments together? Have you ever stopped to imagine what life would be like if you won the lottery or some really nice schmuck came along and paid off all your debt? Do you imagine what that would be like? I'm right now, I'm on track to have my, my mortgage paid off in 10 years. When my son Clark, who's three, is 14, I'm not, I'm not gonna have that monthly payment sucking me dry every month. When I think about that, I feel like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, right? Face paint, kilt, hair flowing. Freedom! Yes! Freedom! That's what I feel like when I think about being debt-free. Freedom! That's what verse 14 says. You think your mortgage is bad. Your debt in this world is nothing compared to the debt you and I owe God because of our sin. You think your debt in this world is bondage. You think the bank is cruel. Let's talk about the debt enforcer that is Satan. He's the worst. He's the cruelest. But Christ comes along and he takes our banknote and he rips it up. He shreds it up. He takes our mortgage. He nails that beast to the cross. And he says, it is finished, paid with interest, null and void. It's done. You want to scream freedom when you're debt free of your mortgage? Church, in Jesus, we have won the lottery. Think about that guy who won $1.6 billion. That's $937 million if he takes the cash payout. Minus taxes is about $537 million. If you put that into the investment world, let's say you can get 2%. It's $11 million every stinking stinking year. I think I could probably live off that. That guy wakes up every morning feeling good. 
you have won the lottery in Jesus Christ. You should wake up every morning feeling like you've won the lottery because you have. Your mortgage has been paid. You are free. When Satan comes against you with the condemnations about your debt, they can say, no, I don't have any. Interest paid, principle done. Jesus, he did it all. He forgave it all. I'm free. You've inherited billions, trillions in Jesus Christ. Come on. That's not old news. It's not boring. Every morning that is new. Every morning we ought to wake up pumped and excited because we are free and forgiven. Yes. Verse 15. Verse 15. Let me catch my breath. (laughs) Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Church, how would you feel if your team won the World Series or the Super Bowl or the National Championship? We feel pretty good about that, right? We throw parades. We throw parades for that. If the Browns won the Super Bowl, there would be rejoicing in the streets and rejoicing in heaven, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you, can see, you can see the parades. <laughs> it's true. You can see the parades that these cities throw. Do you know that they used to do this in the ancient world? Except instead of over sports and things that the, the, they, all they had to worry about was maybe a concussion, they would celebrate victory in battle with like swords and arrows and death. Death. They would conquer nations, and the conquering, triumphant nation would come back, and the city would throw a parade. And they wouldn't just throw a parade. They'd shave the heads of all the people they conquered, and they'd tie them up and enslave them, and they'd drag them behind the parade, and they'd shame them publicly. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Browns won the Super Bowl against the Patriots, and they brought the Patriots for that parade, I could get pretty excited about watching that. I know it's not possible because they're in the same division, but that's what Jesus Christ has done. That's what Jesus Christ has done. In Jesus, your team has won. You are a child of the triumphant king who is ruling and reigning over everything, and he has made a spectacle. He has shamed Satan and his demons, the world, the flesh, the devil, sin, and death. Christ is triumphant over everything. Corrupt governments, corrupt individuals. He is triumphant. He has brought them low, and he has made a spectacle of them on the cross. And church, you're not just on his team. By faith, you are his child. You are a child of the triumphant king. Let's live like that, yeah? Let's never forget this. The band wants to come up. We'll move towards a conclusion here. Are you overflowing with thanksgiving yet this morning? We've got so much to be thankful for in Jesus. Don't get bored with him. Don't get caught up in all the new and all the better spiritual fads that are out there. If it's Jesus plus or not Jesus at all, you don't want it and you don't need it. Fight the fascination with the new by remembering and celebrating the age-old truths of Jesus Christ, crucified, raised to new life, conquering sin, death, and Satan.
We don't need to spend all of our time focusing on what all the counterfeits are out there. There's a lot of them. We just need to stay close with Jesus. Know him well. The better you know him, the more time you spend with him, the more thankful you'll be, and the more easily you'll be able to spot the junk when it comes along. Keep your eyes on the gauge of thankfulness. If it gets low, think about Jesus. Think about all the things that he's done for you and in you. Stay near to him. He will keep you from falling, and he will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's in Jude. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we get bored with you. Lord, there is nothing boring about your good news. There is nothing boring about what you have done. It becomes familiar to us, Lord. And because it becomes familiar, sometimes we get bored. Would you remind us on a daily basis of the new mercies that you give us every single morning, of the new ways that your gospel can affect us on a heart level, the joy that there is to be had in knowing you. Father, may our desires in our heart, may, may, may the only desire of our heart be to know you, to have fellowship with you, to love you, to receive from you, so that we might give you glory we might reflect who you are to others and get joy in the process of doing so. Lord, help us be on guard against the spiritual forces of darkness, against the, the cunning of this world and the culture that we live in. Prevent us from being sucked into that current, Lord. Root us and build us up in Jesus Christ. Amen.